It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Eli Thorkelson to this episode of the Docs Are In, the Red Monk series where we discuss topics relating to docs, documentation, doctorates, academia, upscaling, and of course, how all of these ideas relate to tech. My name is Kate Holderhoff, and uh, with me today is Eli, a software development engineer at Workday with an anthropology PhD. She and I also work together <laughs> on an engineering team uh, at a digital marketing agency in Atlanta, which was what a seven person team and somehow two of us had doctorates. What are the odds? Uh, so this, <laughs> this is my first job after leaving academia, which means that uh, this conversation is going to be particularly exciting for me uh, since we you know, share this, this experience of uh, not only being an academic in the tech realm, but also you know, uh, serving on a, an, an interactive team together. So welcome, Eli. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's begin uh, by just talking a little about your background. Um, what was your journey into tech like? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your history? Yeah. Right. Um, I grew. I was like a teenager in the '90s at a time when there was a lot of kind of early internet culture happening and a lot of programming nerd culture happening, which I loved, and um, and I was really into that stuff as a teenager, but I really didn't like like computer science formal education. Um, I didn't really find it like a, I wouldn't say it was an unfriendly environment, but I just didn't find it like a hospitable environment. And I didn't find that it answered questions about kind of the reason why we exist and like our kind of our social and kind of psychological questions about existence in a way that I was looking for when I was 18 or 20 years old. So I didn't get any degrees in computer science. Um, and I found out pretty quickly, I think I was 19, the first time someone paid me money to write code. Um, and I kind of said to myself, um, I don't need to study CS indefinitely since the jobs are kind of there already. Um, if you're able to produce working software, which is something that, you know, is kind of a skill that's been in demand for a while um, in the economy. and so I didn't do programming professionally for quite a while after I had I had kind of part-time student jobs in software for a while. And then I went to graduate school, didn't do any programming for years. Um, and I went back to it eventually um, in a university office again, first um, as like a part-time student programmer in the humanities IT office. And then after I had been there a year, the full-time person who did Ruby on Rails left to go work in a startup. It's 2012. And um, they said, basically, do you want this job? You you would be good at it. Come work for us full-time. So I hadn't completely finished my dissertation, but I took this job, which was the first time I had ever worked like 40 hours in an office, which was quite an experience <laughs> if you're not used to it. And... Um, and it was really nice. It had really brilliant colleagues and a lot of scope for exploration. And we were building internal web applications for kind of like imagine you're trying to keep track of endowments or where the students are in the humanities program or something like this. So we're just building internal software that does that. And I stayed there for a while, I think about four years or something like this. And I finished my dissertation at night. It was this crazy thing where I would work until five and then I would go to a coffee shop and have like extra coffee and um write until about eight and then have dinner and crash and then just like rinse and repeat. Um and 
Yeah, and then I was kind of bounced around academia for a few years. I had a postdoc. Now I had a teaching job. In the end, it was impossible to... I didn't find that academic careers were hospitable. I found that jobs were really hard to come by and in weird places. And um, it just turned out to be compatible with life to stick with software and not to stick with academia. Yeah, I mean, obviously that resonates deeply with my own experience. Uh, only I, you know, got my PhD in literary and cultural studies and did the postdoc thing for a while. But um, I, I, I think what really compels me about your story is that it really kind of touches on, on the ways that our academic background sort of resonates with what we continue to do. Um, and so I, I love the fact that you sort of used um, working in software development at a university as a sort of jumping off point, because it's that sort of like soft way of leaving. Um, I know a lot of folks who, who wanted to get out of the academy entirely. They wanted to completely sever ties and, and sort of not look back. Um, but I, I think that, you know, your experience there, it sounds like it was it, it was, a, a, you know, a positive way of sort of transitioning out of the academic realm and sort of kind of coming to terms with the fact that you weren't going to continue there. Am I off base or does that kind of resonate? I mean, I, I think that it definitely made, I mean, there is there is kind of a huge difference between doing something as a student job and doing it like all day as your professional identity. And I feel like you have to try that to figure out whether it can be livable for you. Um, you couldn't really just guess, does that sound good? Or just, I mean, you can guess all you like, but it helps to really be there and see what is actually happening um, just in the day-to-day -day life of the workplace. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think where I worked, I mean, it's interesting because it was an IT department and IT organizations are really culturally different than like a software company, like a tech company, or even like mm. the agency context that we've met in. IT organizations, you know, are, exist to serve some specific needs of some big organization and are small, but in my case, big. And they don't bring in money or generate what would we would call in the private sector business value all by themselves. They kind of just are a support function. And they're really interested in things like maintenance and maintainability and kind of long-term planning in a really different way than the very short-term horizons of a lot of private sector technology firms. And so I felt like I absorbed a lot. Yeah, I absorbed kind of a lot of professional wisdom from being in an IT place and seeing that like maybe we should in some circumstances at least plan 10 years down the line and try and make sure that what we're building today isn't going to kind of destroy itself tomorrow because of some future condition that we could have anticipated. So I think, uh, you know, another thing that really uh, was interesting to me while we were working together on that interactive team was that you had uh, mentioned the sort of binders of documentation that you had encountered there. And, um, you know, we were just beginning to, to sort of create um, a more robust wiki. And uh, so I was very interested in this idea of having like physical copies of, uh, you know, the documentation that you're, you know, ostensibly supposed to read through before, you know, making any grand changes. Uh, do you think that's something that's, uh, that we're still seeing, or do you think that was just uh, sort of a, a vestige of, of a sort of older, tried way of doing things? Yeah, I, um, I don't really have a very clear theory of what the direction of documentation is supposed to be. Yeah. In some ways, I do feel like it has not changed hugely in the last decade people use wikis the same way as they used to and i think that full text searching has in general gotten better and that has taken some of the pressure off 
people who wanted to otherwise like you know how classifying everything in some like perfect librarian-esque classification system is really hard and really time consuming and putting everything in the right place is really hard i think that some of the pressure to do that has gone away now that it's possible to kind of arrange things in a sloppier way and find them Mm. with with text search like keyword type search um in a better way than when it's all kind of yeah than when i first started working in these kinds of things um but i don't i don't know what the direction of documentation is I will tell you that I search in Slack history just as much as I search anywhere else for documentation. I I doubt you're alone uh, in in using that in your tool chain. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, I think sort of another question that I'm hoping that we can address is, you know, do you have any other lessons from your time in academia that you see um, extending to your current work? Is there, you know, is it something that you kind of have completely in the back burner or are there certain... um, I guess, uh, you know, ways of doing things or ways of seeing the world or, you know, um, uh, I guess, you know, skills that you learned in your time, um, you know, both, uh, you know, studying for your PhD and, and sort of considering uh, continuing in that, that you know, vein of work um, that, you know, that still resonates that maybe you do differently than, than some of your peers who don't have this long academic tenure. I think that what you get out of doing a PhD in social research, like in ethnography or something like I have, is that you prioritize relationships and communication. And let's be honest, that is something that is a variable interest to professional technology people. And so I do find it useful. Um, I think that it's useful to have been really steeped in, I mean, culture theory, but also just in a more intuitive way of let's ask when people seem to be at odds with each other or miscommunicating, what are their presuppositions that cause them to be in that state of non-mutual understanding? Um, whereas sometimes, you know, people may not always interpret that in, in contextual ways like that. So I, I do feel like there is something useful about that, not planned totally by accident, because I certainly didn't get a doctorate planning to work in yeah, I'm like a large technology company. Um, so any skills that are transferable are, are fortuitous, I guess you could put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it turns out to be really useful, <laughs> like being able to write well. I mean, I don't want to give myself compliments, but I think that like clear and precise writing is a really, really useful skill. Well, that's a, a great segue, actually, because I, I was actually hoping to to talk a little bit about this, you know, wonderful post that you have on your blog, Dacassia, um, which, it, it, was that just an academic blog, or do you consider it Dacassia to be a sort of professional blog? I think it's archived. I started a different one okay. today about, like, software stuff. Oh, great. Okay, well, we will link to that for sure. Um, well, in Dacassia, you do have this wonderful um, post about uh, the process of unbecoming uh, an anthropologist. Would you talk to us a little bit about what that piece is about and, you know, what what drove you to, you know, feel the need to write it? I mean, I do feel like there's a lot of loss in investing 10 or 15 years of your life in like an academic field and then detaching yourself from it. Mm. Nobody has a good theory of how to do that that I have ever come across. Um, And there's a lot of rationalization. Like, oh, I was meant to do this. I was meant to not end up in my tenure track job. Or I was, you know, just like kind of a lot of myth-making, I think, about the fundamentally really arbitrary ways people move around in the economy. And thriver absolutely are are excluded from different kinds of economic circumstances. 
um, like stable academic employment, that having been the obvious goal of graduate school when the way that it was originally taught to me, for sure. Um, and so I guess I wrote about giving anthropology just because, yeah, I felt like there was some kind of mourning process was required and mm. you kind of have to go through the list of things that you're not, or whether or not you think of them as a list, but you have to go through the things you're not going to do anymore. And um, I turned down review requests, like uncompensated, unpleasant review requests from journals for a couple of years until they stopped asking, which was, I guess, nice. And I would always send to them the same reply that would say, like, I'm no longer working in academia. Just like I cannot do uncompensated review labor for you anymore. Sorry. Yeah, I just anyway, I tried to write about letting go of all those different kinds of things. But um, my partner at the time that I wrote that piece said, this is funny because it's still really very academic writing. <laughs> I think that was also true. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there certainly is a genre about quit lit. Um, but your piece in particular, it, it does have that sort of tone of sadness to it, which you don't always see. Some folks get very, you know, the anger comes across or yeah. the sort of blame. Yeah. Uh, but for you, it's, it was, it's kind of an elegy. But I, I think what kind of extends that, uh, the, you know, the, the sadness that um, comes through in, in that piece, which I, I do find so compelling and I recommend everyone read, um, is that you created this wonderful app called RIP My Academic uh, Career. And it is, well, actually, why don't you tell us what it is? I mean, RIP My Academic Career, which I guess we should show the screenshot of. Oh, absolutely. Um, we'll include one. It's um, a graveyard for careers that didn't work out in academia. And each time, each person who cares to create a little marker for themselves can have a, a little a little virtual grave for the career that wasn't with virtual flowers um, randomly generated on many of the bottoms of the, their virtual tombstones. And everyone can write their an epitaph, which I guess is democratic or something. Um, yeah, I kind of, it's funny because it's parody and it's not, you know, like I don't really, and I think that there was interest, there was some like really aggressive spam on that, I will say. Um, mm. People trying to kind of attack other posters, um, which I tried to moderate. And so I won't say that people only used it in healthy ways, but for the most part, I think that it seemed like it found its audience and I felt with that how many folks uh you know that non-spam non-bot uh individuals uh, created a tombstone you know i want to say like a hundred and something but i haven't counted lately yeah okay well you know it, it is genius parody in in my mind uh it, it it really taps into that yeah the notion that you know your career is such a in, uh, a deep part of your identity um you know and, and i think that's you know always been the case, you know, across the board, but academics in particular, just at least I've seen that they really invest their, their entire selves into, uh, you know, who they are as an academic. And so there really is a, a death that needs to be mourned uh, when you opt to leave, uh, no matter how it manifests uh, emotionally. So, and, and it also just seemed like this wonderful um, use of your your skill, your programming skills to create this. I mean, you know, so many folks I talk to who want to leave academia, they're like, well, I don't, what else can I do? All I, you know, I don't have these, you know, so it's, it's great that you have this fallback um, that, you know, you're, you're able to, to parody it in, in a, a meaningful way. I think I often get asked like, what is the through line with your career? Since, you know, I, I was 
painting murals in Cincinnati in my 20s, went to art school, then went in, you know, went hard into the PhD for English. And then, you know, now I'm an analyst, you know, where, where's the through line? I feel like I have a much more difficult time trying to paint that. Whereas, you know, with this project in particular, it's like, there it is, right? You know, right out in the open, you created the app that just articulates perfectly uh, what it is that, that academics go through, uh, especially ones who transition into tech, like you and I have. Yeah, I think that after you have been in tech for a certain number of years, people kind of stop asking you about like how you transitioned out of academia. Mm-hmm. And so I actually haven't really been asked that in some time because it's like after you have kind of maybe more than about two years of experience or something, um, it starts to just be taken for granted that like, okay, this is your profession, whether or not it's your identity. And I will say that one of the things that died very, very durably for me in leaving academ- academia was the possibility that I would ever ever again identify myself so closely with my professional activities i mean not that i don't enjoy my profession and practice it as well as possible and so on but like like i just don't think of it as being coextensive with me in the way that i used to think of academia as being coextensive with me and that and that's lightning to be honest i feel like that's nice um and i definitely know academics that are not able to get to that point or maybe don't want to get to that point which is fine yeah, I've had that experience too. Um, yeah, I mean, I was even counseled to leave my PhD off of my resume because it would be alienating maybe to hiring managers. Um, oh. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, but yeah I, well, I didn't have those three years of experience at the time, so maybe that was good advice. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I feel really strongly that I had a very singular kind of path through these things and mm-hmm. um, aided kind of by fortunate economic moments at the moments that I wanted to go into software and this kind of stuff. But I think my experience in general is that my employers rarely understand what my doctorate means or what it's about. They're not very interested in really what it was about. Um, but I think that they kind of, they feel that there is some cachet, I think, in having the for your name. So I feel like in general, it's kind of been like a very, and I say this with no special attachment to this but i feel i feel like it has like a tiny amount of cachet in worlds where there are not a lot of people with doctorates um mm-hmm. so i wouldn't yeah. leave it off you wouldn't leave it off okay well, that resonates could you give any advice to folks who are considering maybe leaving academia to take a position uh in tech or just you know considering uh you know doing something different with their their phd and uh trying to to seek employment outside of uh, the academic uh, world? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it has no general answer. I don't think, I think that I would never advise someone to go to graduate school with a, in an academic program without having in mind a career plan B. So I guess my advice would really start with people who are like 20 or 25 rather than 30 or 35 or wherever you position the life professional life course. Um, if you have just finished your PhD and you didn't really have any other career plan and you're wondering what to do. Um, I really think it does help to try and transition through things that are in universities. It worked really well for me, at least to, to have university staff jobs, university admin jobs. They're pretty friendly towards hiring academics in those jobs. They consider you kind of a known entity, I think. And, um, the, I feel like the hiring conversation is relatively straightforward 
And so in any case, I, I think that our route that is somewhat plausible is to try and do a thing like that for a few years and then then switch to non-university employment, kind of the way that, I mean, it's worked for me. I don't really know whether it will work for everybody. I think that it can work in other kinds of areas besides software development, though, like programming yeah. and grant stuff. I think there's a range of things where where having administrative jobs in higher education can then lead to other jobs in similar specialties outside of higher education. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, academics already have their foot in the door, uh, you know, at their either wherever they're getting their PhD or, you know, at their place of employment. So I, I think that that's very sound yeah. advice and certainly resonates with the, a lot of the journeys that I've seen as well. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, on that positive note, uh, I want to thank Eli for coming on this episode of the Docs Are In. I will include Eli's contact information uh, in the summary. And um, uh, with that, the docs are out.